okay to have Jesus and therapy too. When I was um, an intern the, in a Christian counseling center, this was uh, these words were on a plaque on the wall. Many times as Christians, we're not so eager to go to therapy because we think, well, we don't need therapy. You know, Jesus knows all about us, and he, know, he created us. He designed us. He, you know, we can just pray about it. We, we don't need to see a therapist. We do know that Jesus is the master designer. God is the master designer. He created our bodies. But we, don't, we accept that it is okay to, to have Jesus in our primary care physician too, right? And we accept that it's okay to have Jesus in our OBGYN too, and Jesus in our ophthalmologist too, and Jesus in our dentist too, and Jesus in our cardiologist, right? So it is my hope that after these two weeks, that we will embrace this idea as Christians and that we will understand that our spiritual wellness is greatly impacted by our emotional wellness and that we will make it our goal to not just be physically and spiritually whole, but emotionally whole as well. Okay. All right, so let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for knowing us completely. We thank you for giving us many resources to help us in our time of need. Lord, I pray that we will open up our eyes, our ears, and our minds to hear what you have to say to us individually. And we do thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So what is trauma? And the title, what I didn't say, is how to live in the present with past trauma. Okay. Trauma, in the Greek word, the Greek word for trauma is wound, right? We have physiological wounds and we have psychological wounds. God designed our bodies with healing agents to help us when we have a physiological wound, right? So, for example, we have platelets to help with blood clotting, right, to stop bleeding and to help with healing. When it's really, really cold outside, the blood, our blood in our bodies rushes to our central organs to really protect them because these are our main organs, right? So what are the first things that get cold? Our fingertips and our toes, right? We feel that ting and numbness because our blood is rushing to our inner organs to keep them warm. When we have something internally, physically, that's wrong with us, one of the first things that happen, our body jumps into action is we have a fever. That's the first sign that something is wrong. We have a fever. Oh, something must be wrong. Either have a cold or the flu or... If someone is blind or loses one of their senses, the other senses are heightened, right? So my first example of that was when I was in the 10th grade. My geometry teacher, Mr. Fiddler, was blind. That was my first time that I just realized I loved math. I still love math. 
but I think he was my first reason why I love math. He had a way of helping us to not just see the shapes in geometry, but to really become math thinkers. But one thing about him, um, and as a 10th grader, was really amazed me. We could walk in the room at separate times, and he always said us by name, good morning, Resna, or good morning to whoever it was. He would walk down the hall, up and down the steps, never use the cane, but always could say the student's name. He felt our presence. He, he sensed our, our, our sense. He knew our voices. So this was a, a real example of how his senses were heightened, although he couldn't use his, his eyesight. With psychological wounds, psychological trauma, there really isn't any tissue to target, right? So like we said, when it's cold outside or differently, but when we have those psychological wounds, there's no, there's nothing really to target, right? So unlike physical wounds, which we can see, the psychological wounds can go unnoticed and be disguised. And we can walk around internally in great pain but no one will never notice it, okay? So if, I, if you saw me walk to that door and I was limping, someone in here probably would say to me, oh, are you okay? Did you hurt yourself? Do you, need, do you need something? Or try to give me some assistance, right? But we can have a lot of turmoil going on inside and no one will never know it, right? Just like the iceberg. I'm going to show you a picture of that. Ooh, I'm sorry, I forgot to click it. It's not working. I don't know without my my helper. <laughs> it's not the clicker is not working. But anyway, with the iceberg, um, if you, the picture of the iceberg, you have the, the the top portion that you can see, but underneath you can't see. You don't know how big it is. You don't know what's underneath, right? And that's how trauma can be. Okay, all right, we'll just keep going. So with, with trauma, it's like that iceberg. We don't know what's, what's underneath. So unless I allow you to peep underneath the surface, or unless you are curious enough to ask me questions about what's going on underneath the surface, one can never know, right? I can walk around being really happy, Oh, here it is. I can walk around being, you know, I can look happy or very comfortable or, um, you know, content, but you will never know what's going underneath the surface, underneath the iceberg. So a working definition of trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event. Okay. I would... I think I can be safe to say that most of us have had some kind of terrible event, right, in our lives, you know. So trauma, we experience that when we have emotional responses. So I'm going to give you a real example. Many, many years ago, I was in a car accident, and it involved a tractor trailer. 
So I had a lot of physical um, things that had physical responses. No broken bones, so praise the Lord for that. That was a miracle. But other physical responses were just really very sore. My ribs were sore, headaches, you know, muscle tightness. But the emotional response was fear, anxiety, worry, and panic. Okay? So the accident happened at night in the rain on the interstate with a, with a truck, with a tractor trailer. Okay? So when I was the thought after the accident, just the thought of driving was crippling, but more so driving in the rain or driving at night or driving on 95 or driving as the trucks. So that was the emotional response. It took a long time for me to get over that. You know, I would, I would check the weather to see if it was going to rain. I would strategically look to see, you know, what time the sun was going to set because I couldn't be driving at night. And wherever I went, I couldn't get on 95, right? So it took a really long time for me to get over that emotional response of that terrible event. There are three types of trauma. So when your pastor asked me to speak on trauma, I asked, I said, well, what, ex what exactly are you looking for? Because trauma is, is a, uh, like a big umbrella, and lots of things fall under trauma, right? Um, grief is trauma, but grief is a separate session on its own. Okay, so we're really not going to talk about grief, but that's traumatic. Giving birth is traumatic, okay? So that also is a, a separate um, topic. So, but when we want to think about trauma, just in a general sense, there are three types of trauma, okay? There's acute, chronic, and complex, okay? Acute trauma is a single incident, like my car accident. It was very traumatic. The results lasted a while, but it was one single incident. That's why we say that it's acute trauma. Chronic trauma is repeated or prolonged, like domestic abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, medical illness, not necessarily a terminal illness, a medical illness. Neglect, grief, okay? One thing that many of us are familiar with personally or through loved ones that fits into chronic trauma, chronic illness, is diabetes, right? That's a chronic illness because it's repeated and prolonged. Not necessarily terminal, but repeatedly we have to take you know, you take medicine or you take insulin. You have to watch your diet. You have to see your endocrinologist on a regular basis. You have, to, you have to constantly be thinking about it, right? That's why it's considered a chronic illness, and it can cause trauma. The third one is complex trauma. So complex trauma is exposed to multiple traumatic events that take place 
over a long period of time. So when I was a, um, my, one of my first jobs was a social worker, and I worked for um, a company or business that contracted with the Philadelphia Department of Human Services. And what my department had to do was to investigate child abuse um, complaints. So someone would call in and say they thought that someone was abusing a child, and so my department would go out and investigate and see if it was valid or not. Sadly, some of these children had to be removed from their home because of the complexity of the abuse, right? It wasn't just, you know, that they were being neglected, but they were neglected, they were abused, they may have witnessed some things that they should not have witnessed. It was truancy. All of these things combined made it complex, and that's when, unfortunately, some of them were removed from their homes. Something like that could, would cause someone to have complex trauma, right? It's a, it, sometime that lasts a long time, a lifetime. I mean, it lasts a lifetime because there's a lot of things that you're dealing with at one time. Okay. The degrees of trauma help us to, to identify intervention, not indicate how the person is feeling. This wasn't originally in my notes but I woke up this morning thinking about it and I had to hurry up and go downstairs and write it down before I forget. We want to be careful as helpers to those who are experiencing any kind of trauma that we do not minimize their pain, right? We can't say that because they have acute trauma that they're not in as much pain as someone who is experiencing complex trauma. In the moment, the pain is crippling. So we want to be very careful not to say, oh, it's not as bad as that person because that person has multiple things going on. We also do not want to suggest how someone should be feeling, right? You shouldn't feel that way because blah, 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 or you shouldn't, you should feel this way because blah, 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 blah. We want to um, be good listeners and validate how that person is feeling, even if we do not understand it. We do not want to be self-referential. That means when someone is telling you about what's going on with them, we don't want to jump in and say, oh, I know what you're feeling because I did that. Because one, we don't know what someone is feeling. Even if we went through something that is similar, not the same, because no trauma is the same, even if it's a similar experience. We can't say we totally understand because I did this and I, you know, I did it and this is what I did. That's being self-referential, okay? Jesus was, a, a, was the example of that. I love him with the woman at the well, right? He first, he, he was... You know, the best counselor ever, if you want to study on how to be a counselor, how to be a therapist. He first, he went and looked for her. He didn't have to go that way, but he went intentionally looking for her. Then he sat with her, right? And he listened to her. And he allowed her to question. Like, she was like, why are you asking me for this? And if you know, he listened to her. 
He didn't jump right in and say, oh, this is what you should do. He asked questions, like, go get your husband. He didn't say, you don't know you don't have a husband. He said, go get your husband. He allowed her to lead the conversation. So we want to be careful when we're sitting with someone who's suffering to be good listeners, like the Bible said, to be hearers of the word. Right? We want to hear more than speak. We want to be quick to hear and slow to speak. We like to give out advice and suggestions. I know I do. I do that. I do that. My husband might say I do that. I like to give out plenty of advice. But we want to try to be better listeners um, when someone is suffering. So I love anatomy. I love the human body. I love the way God designed the body. It's amazing to me. So we're going to do a, just a, a little bit of um, anatomy here, learn a little bit about anatomy. So our body is, um, has a, a lot of systems, and the, and the systems work independently but together. Right? So we have one system is the autonomic nervous system, and this regulates involuntary physiological processes like our heart rate, our blood pressure, respiration, okay? So, and there's two parts of that. We have a sympathetic nervous system that comes underneath that and a parasympathetic nervous system. So para means like next to, so they work together. So for example, if um, Sister Benson, is in the room by herself, right? She's reading, it's really quiet. And I come up behind her and I say, boo. And she's like, <gasps> you know, she may start screaming. Her heart rate might get up a little bit. She might perspire a little bit because I frighten her, right? But then she'll say, oh, it's just resin. She's just being silly. You know, she sit down and talk to me. At that time, her body is naturally going back to its relaxed state. She realizes there's no danger here. So her heart rate will not be as fast anymore, right? She's probably stopped um, sweating or whatever. She's calm now. We can have a conversation. But if I come in the room and do the same thing, and she starts screaming for an hour, and she, you know, and she can't, her body can't regulate itself, that means that the parasympathetic nervous system needs a little bit of help. Just like if we have, let's say we have a fever, um, a cold or something, and we think we have a cold, and this age is COVID, right? So at my house, we have enough COVID tests to open up a Walgreens. Because anybody who get a cough or a sneeze or look tired, a little bit too tired, take a COVID test. So, but if we rule out COVID and we're taking Tylenol and uh, Motrin and Mucinex and all that stuff for over a week and it's not working and we're still feeling that way, then that, that's a sign that our body needs a little more help. When we have complex trauma, we see that more in complex trauma right? Because there's so much going on that it does take the body a little longer to come back or your 
your when you in a, when you have have a traumatic experience, it takes a little longer for your body to come back to that restful state because it's a domino effect. It's so much that your body is dealing with at one time. So. Need to look up here. Okay. So the question is now, what do I do? Where do I go for help, right? Who do I turn to? As a biblical counselor and also a clinician, I would always say that our first response is to begin and start with God. In the beginning, God, okay? So even if I'm sitting in front of someone who is not a Christian, because someone can come to see me who's not a Christian, and we're all created in the image of God, and we all need help, right? So we don't, you know, we don't turn people away because they're not a Christian. But I am a Christian, and that's my first, when I'm praying for clients and seeking wisdom on what to do, I have plenty of books, but I do start at the beginning and go with God. So God created our bodies. He knows our thoughts, feelings, emotions better than we know ourselves. He's omniscient. He reminds us that there is nothing hidden from us. He is in touch with our physical and mental and emotional needs. Even from a distance, this is from the message version of Psalm 139. Even from a distance, you know what I am thinking. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the sentence. You find me in the minute. You are already waiting. He even sees me in the dark. We live in an imperfect world. And unfortunately, um, we will have trouble and Jesus told us. He did not deceive us. He said that we, that in this world, we will have trouble. Um, we don't want it. You know, we sing songs in church about having trouble and God brought us over and, you know, like we welcome trouble, but really we don't want it, right? But God did not deceive us that we, do, we will have trouble. But he did say that we could be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. So that's our hope as Christians, that even though we have trouble, we're going to have it, we can be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. So no one is exempt from trouble. In the book, God and Soul Care, Everett Johnson writes, adversity is commonplace in human life. Everyone suffers, eventually, and some a lot. Some of us will suffer a lot, right? We have to trust as Christians that God and his divine providence, providence is his will for our lives. He goes on to say, most people get a fair amount of fun out of life. But on balance, life is suffering. And only the very young are very foolish 
imagine otherwise. Sometimes things happen to us that are beyond our control, like my car accident. If I was in control, I would not have gone out when I was going to a, um, a work conference. If I was in control, I wouldn't have gone. If I, if, if I could see in a magic ball, right? Sometimes things happen to us because of the seeds that we have sown. Right? Either way, we want a way out, right? It is easier for us to seek help when we have physical aches and pains but most of us have are a little hesitant when it is our mental health. We we think that we can do it on our own, right? When we having trauma or um, time of emotional unrest, we might say, "Oh, if I just get more sleep, you know, I just need to get more sleep. If I get more sleep, I'm going to feel a lot better. You know what? I just need to eat better. I just need to cut out those sweets. That's me." right there. I need to cut out those sweets. You know, if I stop eating sweets, if I, if I just drank more water, I would feel better. You know, I just need to exercise more. You know, I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to be more consistent in exercise. If I exercise more, that would make me feel so much better. You know, maybe if I took yoga, because I hear people talking about that. You know, I've just practiced that deep breathing, like breathe in, breathe. If I did that, I would feel better. None of these things are bad things. They're good things. Many of us have poor sleep hygiene, and we do need to get more sleep. And we do need to eat well. We need to take care of our bodies in that, in that way. We need to drink more water. We do need to exercise, right? And taking yoga and deep breathing is not a bad thing, but they don't help the root problems. They're only helping the symptoms. Insomnia is a symptom of a root problem. We don't just, God designed our bodies to be regulated to sleep. When we are not sleeping for long periods of time, we can take melatonin. I'm the the melatonin person. I I have melatonin in my house. I have all these sleep aids. But when we're not doing that for a period of time, it's a sign like the fever that something else is going on, right? So saying that we're going to get enough sleep, yeah, we can take the melatonin and feel good for a couple days. But does it really solve what's going on inside? The iceberg continues to get bigger and bigger. We suffer in silence because we don't want to tackle what's going on really what's going on with us. No one can escape trouble. No one is good enough. Although we know and sing songs about that, um, we really don't want to have it, and then we remain in denial. So what do we need to do, right? The first thing we need to do is we must first admit that we are suffering, and that can be really hard for us to do. There's a, um, there was a commercial during the height of COVID. You saw a lot of people paying more attention to mental health. So they had a lot of commercials on about it. And it was this commercial when someone was texting someone else and someone text said, how are you? 
and the person was texting back and they said, oh, I've had a really bad day, I can't really, and then they erased it and said, I'm good, right? It's really hard to share, right, when, when we are suffering. And that's why we need to be good listeners because if someone comes to you and, is, and, and trusts you with that, we need to listen without judging, without being condemning, without doing those things, like I said, telling them what they should do what they should, or telling you what, what you do, what, what I would do, right, to be better listeners. The Bible tells us not to be like the person who ignores what's reflected in the mirror. Many of us like to say, I'm good. You know, every time I talk to my son, my son lives in California, so every time I talk to him, I, I'm good. You know, I have to get more stuff out. I'm good. Everything is good. We deceive ourselves and thus will not be honest with others and God. Now, David was a great example of vulnerability and transparency. Throughout the Psalms, we read how he expressed his grief, his trauma, his loss, his regret, and he lamented to God without hesitancy or shame. Like, he wasn't ashamed of saying what he was saying, right? Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's in Psalms 10.1. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? That's Psalms 13, 2. Why are you so far from my cries of anguish? Psalm 22, 2. As I sink in despair with my spirit just leaving away, leaving away from me, you know how I'm feeling. Know the danger I'm in. Traps hidden in my path. Look right, look left. There's not a soul who cares about me, right? Just the walls are caving in between a rock and a hard place. I'm up against a wall with no exit. Have you felt like that? Just like, you know, there's no way out. It's just the walls are just, just crushing me. It's just me alone. Psalms 142, 2 through 7. We cannot be made whole without first acknowledging what is going on inside. So that is the first step, admit that we are suffering. Next, we must admit that we need help, okay? So we took that first step, but now I need some help, right? Now, I love the hymns. We don't sing hymns a lot in churches today, but one of my favorite hymns is I Must Tell Jesus. And the first verse says, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. As Christians, our first line of defense is God. Right? He will direct us. He will give us wisdom. He will tell us where we need to go. As a biblical counselor, as a clinician, that's my first line of defense is God, to give me direction with the client, telling me where I need to go. He wants us to cast all of our cares on him. He wants to make our burdens light. He assures us, sweet, 
when we pick up our sessions, we're going to discuss practical ways to put off and put on things because we want to apply things to our lives, right? We don't want to just take the word or take something that someone gives us and just, it's, we want to make it individual to us. So my put on and my put off will be different from your put on and your put off. So we're going to talk about practical ways. We will talk about what to do when all the above things that we've exhausted and nothing happens. You know, I'm still sitting here in the same, feeling the same way, thinking the same thing over and over again. We're going to take a, do a quick character study on Job and look through the lens of someone who experienced deep trauma. Okay? I'm going to, we're going to stop in a few minutes for questions, but I just wanted to, there was a movie, to share this with you, there was a movie, old movie, Cast Away. I don't know if anybody saw that movie, but it was with Tom Hanks. He played a character named Chuck. Well, Chuck was, was in a, a, a plane accident, and he was stranded on an island for four years, just him. No, no contact with anybody for four years. And his co-workers, he was engaged at the time, so his fiance, his co-workers, families, friends, they all had given up hope that he would ever return. There was no, no sight of him at all. They even had a funeral for him. Okay. When he was found, he was asked by one of his old co-workers, what kept you going? Because it was such a long time. He looked so different when they saw him. You know, his hair was really long, and he was so, so thin. And they, he said, they said, what? What kept you going? And he said, I had to keep breathing. I knew each day the sun would rise, and I didn't know what the tide may bring. Right? That's what we have to do. When we, ex when we are experiencing emotional unrest or emotional things, we've all had something in our past. But in order to live in our present, we have to keep breathing. Right? Sometimes it's a short breath. And then maybe the next day, we get to a longer breath. Maybe we can do like a little deep breathing the next day. Maybe the third day, we get a step back and we go back to the... right. But we have to keep breathing because we don't know what the tide is going to bring in, like he said. I thought that was so impactful. This was many years ago, and I wrote that down. I love that, that um, quote. Um, but we don't know what tomorrow may bring. We don't know what the next five minutes will bring. We only have this moment. This is the only, only security we have is right now. So that clock says 9.33. When 9.34 hits... 934, and this day, July 10th, there's never going to be a 9:33 a.m. July 10th ever again. Right? So we do. We have to keep breathing, and we need. Sometimes we need help or reminders to keep breathing. You know, when a woman is giving birth. Um, one of my personal ministries is working with first-time moms. 
And so when a woman is giving birth, you have to remind her to breathe because she's caught up in everything else that's going on, right? This the whole idea and her body is changing to bring forth life and pain and, and, you, and she's just holding her breath. And you have to really remind, you have to breathe. Sometimes we do need a reminder during traumatic situations to breathe. Okay. Questions? What role does uh, scripture play in helping people work through trauma? And I know you work in two different uh, worlds uh, as a sacred counselor and also in a secular capacity. Uh, how do you integrate scripture? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I don't know if everyone heard what Pastor Benson said. How do you integrate scripture in while doing secular counseling? Well, when you're counseling the client, we, we do need to be client-focused, right? So you don't impose on the client. Um, but all my clients will know that I'm a Christian. They come into a Christian. It's secular counseling, but they come into a Christian counseling center, a lot of people want to come to a Christian counseling center, even when they're not Christians, because they do respect the scriptures. Okay. So you can say things. Um, you let them know that you are a Christian. You can, you can say Bible verses. Um, but like going back to Jesus and the woman in the well, he didn't preach to her. Right. He didn't um, give her a lot of things from the prophets, whatever. He listened to her. He did throw in things when she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, oh, you're right. And he did. That's when he said something to her. So we have to be very discerning on when we say things, being a good listener. Because sometimes we do need to say, you know, this is what God says. Well, when you think about that, right? So as a, as a Christian... That's like I said, that's my first line of defense. I'm going to go back to the word and I can share it in a non threatening way, right? And this is a good way, like when we think about biblical counseling or evangelism, we, we want to do we want to do that in a non threatening way. We want to be welcoming, we're not denying Christ, but we want to meet people where they are. So the Bible does say, okay, if I'm hungry. Don't give me a bunch of Bible verses. Give me something to eat. And then we can, and then I'm going to be open to hear scripture. But if I'm coming in crying because, you know, I, I had a, a death, my loved one, my child died, or, you know, I, I lost a baby, you know, that we have people that we know who lost babies, who the baby was born and died like within hours. I can pray for them, and I can share with them later. But at that moment, they need, your, they need my presence. They don't need me to tell them that God knows your baby's in a good place. That's not, that's not going to bring them comfort. So we, we want to be really discerning as Christians and listen to what God is telling us to do and when he wants us to share. Not denying that we are Christians, right? but listening intently to what the Spirit of God tells us. 
that's under the surface and it impacts our lives. So the question was, um, that's it. the question was, what are some consequences when we don't deal with the iceberg that is hidden beneath the surface, but it impacts our lives? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we um, we continue to suffer. We are not good with our um, interpersonal relationships with others. And other people start to bump into that iceberg, you know. Like, uh, you could just be, um, someone could just say something to you, like, basic, like, good morning, how are you? And you just blow, blow up because so much stuff that you have going on inside that you just couldn't take another person saying anything to you. Okay, so it just it just gets bigger and bigger. Um, we continue to suffer, and it's always hope, but it just makes the interventions a little longer because we're in such denial. And then we just get used to it. You know how you get used to something and you just deal with it. You know, like I said, okay, you just walk around it, you put a cushion on it. Other people can see it. It starts to, you know, that iceberg gets so big that the little part gets shorter and shorter, and then it just explodes, and that's all other people see. But you don't see it anymore because now your eyes are blind because you haven't addressed it. So we do want to address that iceberg before it gets out of control, before it gets so big, where and it puts a blind spot in our eyes and we can't see it. We're no good to ourselves. We're no good to our loved ones. We're no good to our friends. What it does, it, it will consume us, our lives, and be life-dominating. Okay, so we wonder why we can't get our work done on the job and why the boss has given us a lot of bad um, comments. You know, we say, well, I'm doing my job, but some way it's going to come out, right? It, it will come to the surface at some point. Okay. Well, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I couldn't give any medication. But no, I do feel like God designed this and medication. I think it is good. Sometimes we need extra help. People have different views on medication. Some people are anti-medication. I don't take anything. If that's, if that's your personal conviction, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm not one to that conviction. I do think that we can try other methods. Like you said, different um, therapeutic methods first. And then maybe you need to be referred to see a psychiatrist who can give you something a little more. Right, just like when I say, well, if you have a cold, you 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 have a cold, or a sniffle, and you're taking all these over-the-counter medication, you spend all this money, and you're still feeling worse than you did when you started. Now it might be time to get something a little more, a little heavier to help to help take the edge off. Yeah.
you talked about the tip of the iceberg as symptoms that we can see. And when we look at what's going on with the proliferation of homicides and um, mass shootings and more suicides than at any other time with adolescents and opioid addictions, what impact do you think trauma has in terms of those types of behaviors? We look at, those are the symptoms, but the iceberg, I believe, is that people have been traumatized and they're acting out of those emotions with violence and desperation and you know, anesthetizing themselves with drugs and so forth. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do think to make an honest assessment, that's a little bit above my pay grade, but I do agree that um, many uh, people do have some hidden trauma that was never never saw, seen or never act upon. Like when we, we can only go by what we hear, right, on the news. So a lot of times you hear things that people say they saw things and it was never reported or even things that they didn't see. Like, oh, they were always like really quiet. They stayed by themselves. Well, you know, we're, we're made to be with people. It's not really, I'm not going to say normal. I don't think I can say that, but it's not as healthy to be a person that stays by yourself all the time. You know, sometimes we look at that like, oh, they stay by themselves. They're so nice. That's not really healthy to be by yourself all the time. We were made, God designed us to be with people, to interact with people, to be accountable to one another, right? To um, grow with one another, to love one another, to to be the person who may have to chastise you, just chastise one another. So um, I think, yes, like Pastor Benson said, I think some of those people, or I could say unprofessionally, that all of them have something going on inside. Like, we don't just do things, right? Now, me, my former pastor would say, I don't think it's such thing as um, temporary insanity. And I kind of agree with him because at some point we think about things. Even if we do something at, an, at the moment, we've thought about it at some point. At some point we thought about it, right? So something is going on inside that is not healthy that causes us to do. Like the Bible said, what's, what's, what's in the heart it comes out. Like, whatsoever man thinketh, that's the way he's going to be. That's in the heart, right? So I, I do agree with your pastor that, yes, unprofessionally, I can say that. I think it does have a lot to do with deep inward trauma that was never addressed, never assessed over the years. Okay. I want to thank you again. I look forward to next week. Again, you can email me. I'll put that back up on the screen. If you have additional questions, um, email me at Resna, R-E-S-N-A, at livingwatercounseling, one word, dot O-R-G. Thank you.